1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter's kind of just tagging on, saying like, we talked about last week, suffering, house of God, judge first. Speaking of which, especially elders and pastors are going to be judged even harsher. He says, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not, by, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those, who, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, that's you, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we just lift up this night to you and ask that you would do with it as you will. Lord, if we do not have your Holy Spirit here, we are just doing things by the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh can never accomplish what your Spirit desires to accomplish. So Lord, we pray that we don't just have the structure, but we have the power power in order to do the things that you ask us to do. We pray that we have an encounter with you this evening. So fill us and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I be honest with you? I want to make a difference in my generation. Ever since I was younger... I've always wanted to be able to change the world. And not in like a superhero kind of a way. Although I had fantasized about being Batman. Underneath my school, I would build like my bat cave and be able to hide there. And I had strategies. In third grade, this is what I thought about. I was thinking like, well, if I get punched, I'm a wimp and I'm really skinny, so I'm going to die. So if I build a robot suit that's big enough to house me, I'll be able to punch people and beat them up, all the bad guys, and not get hurt, and do my homework inside of the robot suit. Like, I literally, this is what I was, used to think about. When I was even younger than that, I thought about, if there's one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to be a car- carpenter, because Jesus was a carpenter, and what I would do is, I would become really rich, and one day, I would build a shop right, a supermarket, for all the homeless people and poor people, so they could come in and buy stuff without paying for it. So you just walk in, Get whatever you need, and you walk out. And then I was thinking, well, how do you filter out all the people that are scamming me? So I, I just have to be really rich at that point. So if I, ha- if I make a lot of money, even more money to cover the expenses of, like, whatever people take advantage of me, then I would be able to accomplish my lifelong dream. These are the kind of things I thought about as I was younger. And as I grow older, now I have different aspirations. But I think the main goal is that I want to be able to, to leave a lasting change on the world that I was put in. I'm not sure if everyone has that aspiration, but that's kind of my aspiration. My aspiration in in coming here and teaching you guys isn't so that I have a steady, secure job, so that I'm comfortable. And where I am right now, it's not like I have a lot of difficulties. It's not like I'm wondering, like, will I be able to pay the bills 
I don't really have a lot of bills to pay other than car insurance, cell phone bill, whatever. So I'm not struggling in that kind of way. And so there are times that I think about, am I making a difference? And if I'm not making a difference in your life, then why am I here? If what I'm saying isn't actually causing change, then I'm just getting in the way of what God wants to do. I heard a pastor, Daniel Fusco, said, we never step up or step down when it comes to the calling of God. Only step aside from what God is trying to do. Let God be the one who encounters you, meets with you, changes your life. I look at this passage, and I look at this book, and I wonder, what did Peter think? How did Peter view his life? Because if you remember, Jesus told him something very, very interesting. He said, Peter, I'm going to nickname you Pebbles, Tiny Rock. And upon this rock, this astounding thought that Jesus is Lord, that truth, I'm going to build my church on that truth. And what did he say? He said the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. So if you get a charge like that from Jesus, he says, hey, listen, I'm going to send you on a mission. Here's its truth that I'm Lord. I'm going to give you that mission to be able to proclaim that, start churches, be a pastor, and the gates of hell itself will not be able to, to uh, prevail against you. Like, I'm taking that. I'm running with that. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. So as Peter was very ambitious, excited about the calling that God has given him, this high calling, I wonder if I have the same problem he'd ha- he had. Sometimes our biggest obstacle is our own ego. Because right after that, what happened? Peter was thinking, well, Lord, if everyone else falls away, I will not fall away. Even if everyone else were to deny you, I would never deny you. I would even die for you. And of course, one of the things we know Peter for the most is the fact that he denied Jesus three times. He fell flat on his face. He had a good motivation, right? He wanted to change the world. God has given me this high calling. But what got in the way is his own pride. It's not just pride as it pertains to people. Because that's what we can think of too. When you think of pride, you think of like, you're looking at everybody else as a, a tool or a stepping stone for you to be able to get ahead and kind of step on everybody else. But pride as it pertains to God. So not just pride in, in terms of like, I think I'm better than everybody else, but pride as in, I can do what God's calling me to do without the way God has prescribed. Neglecting God's plans. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, all of you know it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Whenever I go to California and I'm driving and I know that I'm going to hit traffic, especially LA traffic, some of the worst traffic in the world, I know that I should rely upon somebody who's living there to figure out what time I should head to the airport. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in traffic for a really long time. Maybe miss my flight. It'd be foolish of me to just say, I don't need to ask anyone for help. I'm going to do it myself. Now, if I would do that on a very practical level with people that are fallible, 
Why would we not do the same thing with God when we are making our plans? Oftentimes, we have a goal. We have ambitions. We have dreams and aspirations. And we look to our own ego, our own intellect, in order to figure out how to get there. Now, planning is not wrong. But when your plans are different than what God has planned, when your timeline as to how everything works out is different than what God has planned and scheduled, now you are stepping into the realm of sin. How much heartache will we avoid? How much confusion will we avoid if we'd simply lean not on our own understanding? That we decided to trust the Lord and not trust in ourselves. Well, Peter, as we know, is someone who learned the hard way. And it's interesting that he says, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, that word elder is interchangeable with pastor, shepherd, overseer. A commentator, Wayne Grudem, points out that he didn't say a witness of the resurrection. Why didn't he say that? Like, the witness to the resurrection. In other words, I saw it, it's legit, it's true. He didn't say, I'm an elder, a fellow elder, witness of the transfiguration. He saw that too. He saw the power of God. God was Jesus in his glory. So he could have appealed to like his apostleship, saying like, hey, listen, I have authority here. I was one of those few people that saw the transfiguration. He says what? A witness of Christ's sufferings. Why did he say that? I think all of us know immediately. When he's talking about witness of the sufferings, he's referring to that one time that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ and denied him. Even says in the Gospels that Jesus made eye contact with him as he denied him. You see, Peter, in his pride, said he would never forsake Jesus. And he had to be humbled the hard way. And at the same time, he restored he says later on in the verse, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He was forgiven. But he was saying, listen, take it from me, a person who's like still an elder, I'm still a pastor, I'm not disqualified, but a person who had to learn things the hard way because I thought that I had it all together. And he gives a following exhortation. Let me ask you, do you have to learn the hard way? Do you and I have to learn the hard way? Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We know the passage in Daniel chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was looking upon his kingdom that God had given him, and he said, Look at all this that I've built for my glory. And then an angel popped out and said, eh, yeah, no, because you didn't give the glory to God, you're going to, for seven years, going to be eating grass like a cow, and your nails are going to grow out like eagle's talons, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. And he gives it to whomever he chooses. The person on the throne isn't you, Nebuchadnezzar, it's God. He just gave you it. How many of us have to learn that lesson? How many of us pray the prayer? Lord, just give us humility. Humble us. You're not supposed to pray that. Everything in the Bible doesn't say pray for humility. You're supposed to humble yourself. Take the first step. 
and say, I will not lean on my own, my own understanding. I will trust in the Lord. Because if God has to humble you, guess what? You are full of yourself. You've allowed yourself to get into such a position where God notices that you're elevating yourself and you need to be brought low. So in this opening introduction to chapter 5, Peter is exhorting us, telling us, warning us, I learned the hard way that we need to be brought low so that Jesus can increase. And then he gives an exhortation, first of all, to pastors. He says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of, crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, looking at this passage, I'm, I was even preparing for it. I was just like, what, like, how do I apply this to a teenager who's not a pastor? Obviously, Peter is talking to a pastor, talking to a bunch of pastors, exhorting them not to fall into the temptations that specifically pastors might fall into. But then I thought about this. Do you guys know what pastors are for? What is the purpose of having pastors? Like maybe you'll encounter this when you go to college because I know some people do. They say, I don't like the church. I don't like established religion. I just like to read my Bible on my own. I have some friends over the house. Is that okay? Like let's say that you were going to form your own little church. Could you do that? Do you need a pastor? Maybe you guys can have a Bible study. You don't even have to come to church anymore. You don't have to come to Calvary Chapel. You don't have to come to Impact or whatever church you go to. Is that okay? Well, it seems like it's okay like in China, right? They have the secret church. They don't have, really have a choice at that point. So what, what in the world is a pastor even for? What is a shepherd, elder, overseer? What is their purpose? Well, looking at the Bible, the first purpose of a pastor is the sacrificial care of God's people. The sacrificial care of God's people. John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The first purpose of a pastor is to give of himself sacrificially to care for God's people. I mean, that just kind of makes practical sense. Right? As Jesus is living, leaving the earth, he's saying like, I'm going to establish a group of you guys to be in charge and your entire purpose is to serve, to minister to God's people. Secondly, for the protection of God's people from false teaching. Now, the reason why I study the Bible all the time, one of the reasons is to make sure that we are giving you truth because you guys don't have as much time as I do to devote to the scriptures. Just, you know, honestly, you guys are in school, you have part-time jobs or whatever. I'm devoting all of my time as another human being, as equal with you guys. I'm spending all my time here to make sure that you guys know the truth so that when people say weird things, you know exactly what is false and you're not led astray by people that tell you, no, nah, man, what you really got to do is if you pray really hard, God will give you what you want. And we can say, no, according to the scriptures, that is not the way of Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 29, Paul said, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, Paul saying this, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What Satan would love 
is to bring in false teachers or people around that will lead you away from Jesus. That will tell you things that you like to hear. I say, you know, it's fine if you have a couple drinks. It's fine if you smoke a couple joints and whatever. So that you are led astray in that the kingdom is divided. But the primary goal of the pastor is to feed the flock. Feed the flock. What does that mean? You being the flock of God, being his church, I'm to give you the word of God. To speak prophetically, not necessarily foretelling the word of God, but forthtelling, the giving forth of the word of God for you this week. Or just being able to give you words of wisdom that are straight from the Lord, to be his mouthpiece, so that you are nourished. And not just the things that you want to hear, but some of the things you don't want to hear. Like this passage. How many of you on your own time would hear a Bible study directed to the pastors unless you were aiming to be a pastor? But by giving you the full counsel of God and teaching you, you become a well-rounded Christian eating your meat and eating your vegetables that nobody wants to eat, especially me. Jesus exhorted Peter amongst everything else. He said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Give them the word of God. A pastor named William Still said, the pastor is called to feed the sheep even if the sheep do not want to be fed. The best thing I can do for you is just give you the word of God. Not to put in my own opinions, ideas, and whatever, and come up with these creative little catchy phrases that you're going to walk away with. But the question is, is that based in scripture or is that my opinion? Because if that's my opinion, it's just as good as anyone else's opinion. So knowing that, my job is to just be here to serve you, to care for you, to give you the word of God, and to counsel as the Lord would will. Now, he talks about its own set of temptations that pastoral ministry brings. And that's why he said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Imagine I'm in Central Park, and I see a beautiful garden. And in this beautiful garden in Central Park, I'm admiring it. We're all chilling. Maybe we're drinking some of that hot chocolate that's in the park that's amazing. And as we're there, I'm like, you know what? I've brought my gardening tools, and it's time to trim, pull out some weeds, and I start watering Central Park. Wouldn't you kind of think that something's wrong with me? I'm taking care of a garden that's not mine. Now, listen, Sarah Keeley has a really cute puppy. And if I started taking care of Sarah Keeley's puppy, cleaning up after its messes, I was coming over like, I really want to scoop its poop. She would think that there's something wrong with me because it's not my dog. And she would think that I'm out to steal her dog from her. Which may be true because it's a very cute puppy. So the point being, you can't shepherd the flock that you don't have. And you shouldn't feed the flock that is not under your care. Now, that's for pastors. How does this apply for you? Here's a principle that can be universal whether you're a pastor or not. Ready? Don't strive to make friends with people that you will only know superficially. How about that? Anyone ever vie for someone's attention? Maybe on Snapchat, on Instagram, you see someone famous, if only they would notice me. And you're like tagging them and everything. Like you are striving so hard to get to know someone who will know you in such a superficial manner. Maybe they might message you back. Maybe they might retweet you. Who knows? Instead, why don't you attempt 
to befriend the person that's right in front of you. Wouldn't it be kind of weird if, like, while I'm teaching the Bible and stuff, like, I never spent time with any of you. I didn't talk to any of you. After youth group, I left because I was like, oh, well, there's this, this church that's online that I have, like, this, this online blog, and I'm, like, their pastor, and so I want to go home and make sure I'm answering all their questions. All of you would just kind of feel disrespected. Like, really? He just ups and leaves after every impact. You can't shepherd the flock that you don't have. And some of you, you're always looking to the next best thing. You're always looking for the next best friend. But you're not looking to get messy with the relationships that are right in front of you. Go through some of the pains of the person that hurts you. and Be willing to suffer with that person. But that's the relationship that God intends us to be with. And the relationships will be messy. And so he goes on to warn elders of three other temptations. The first one being a people pleaser. A people pleaser. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly. In other words, if you want to be a pastor, don't be a pastor because other people are forcing you to or because there's a need. And listen, I was there at one point. There was no space for the high school pastor, and, uh, and people were telling me that this is really the only position that I can take. And I already told you this before, but like, I wanted to stay in junior high because I just didn't feel like I would be a good high school pastor. I didn't know anything about high school kids. And Andy said, like, well, I'm sorry. I already asked Brian Higgins to take your job so you can pray about it, but it really, really won't do anything. And so at that point, like, I was in this, this mode of, like, I was doing it because I was asked to, but not because I genuinely had that desire. Now, that might happen to some of us, but we can't stay there. Obviously, I'm here now because I want to be here. And for us, sometimes you will have the calling of God in your life and you're almost like running away from it. You're like Jonah. You know exactly what God's called you to do and you refuse to obey because you're afraid of the consequences. If I step out in faith and I finally tell this person about Jesus, what could happen? You don't know. And that's why God gives you the Holy Spirit. But do the will of God willingly because the Bible also says that the callings and gifts of God are irrevocable. If God has called that, called you to something, called you to a ministry, he's not going to revoke that call. Instead, we have to submit and obey. The next one is greed. He says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Some of the, you know, you might see like televangelists or whatever asking for your money all the time. Should never be a motivation in being a leader. You should always be eager to just serve, whether you get paid or not. Like, should not be here for the money. He also says, power, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Whether you're a pastor or you're in leadership or whatever, there'll be times that you're tempted to kind of just take charge and say, like, you peasants, go over there and do this thing, and you command them. And you are not to abuse that power, but be examples. My life is to be an example. Now, if I told you to do a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm, like, teaching you the Bible every week, and on the weekends... I'm partying with all my friends, getting drunk and smoking weed, you would think something's wrong. You would say, that guy probably shouldn't do what he's doing right now. Now listen, but vice versa, if you're partying on the weekend, you're drinking and smoking weed, I would have no problem with you being here. I would say at some point things should change, but I would not be like, oh, you hypocrites. Huh, you think that you're, like, I don't do those things, you shouldn't either. I'll never try to, I'll never do that to you. Why? Because I'm holding myself to a different standard than you are. I'm a teacher, and God holds me to a different standard. 
Like I said, you should change eventually. You shouldn't stay doing those things because you'll be miserable. But for the pastor especially, they should be examples to the flock, not ex- um, exuding their power. So their motivation should not be just trying to please the people. It shouldn't be out of greed. It shouldn't be out of power. But their, their motivation should be the reward in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That does not fade away. Okay, so now we talked about the role of pastors. Maybe we didn't know before. And now you know exactly what pastors to do in the church. Now here's where it applies to you. Because Paul, Paul, not Paul at all, Peter been in this book for a while. Peter specifically talks to you now. Ready? Verse 5. Everyone pay attention. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Ha <laughs> ha. Wish that verse wasn't there, don't you? Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay. So now that's pretty obvious. And he's not just talking about older people. He's specifically in the context we just talked about pastors. He's talking about submit yourselves to your pastors. What does that mean and what does that look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. There is something started in Florida called the shepherding movement. And in the shepherding movement, what people would do is like you would have a shepherd. Everyone had a shepherd. And that shepherd would tell you everything that you could do and you couldn't do. You can make any life decisions without your shepherd telling you. So a shepherd would be like, you and you get married, and they would get married, and you couldn't oppose your shepherd. And so, like, Lloyd told me that he knows a couple that got married because of the shepherding movement, and, like, literally, there was a guy who was like, you two get married, and they couldn't deny him, and they just got married. That's really weird. That is not what it's supposed to be. Instead, you are to trust the leadership that God has placed over you. Can you do that? Can you trust God's ordained leadership? There are many of you here, and I know because I've had those conversations, so I'm not picking on any one of you. It's just many of you. We've had superficial conversations. I ask, how are you really doing? How can I pray for you? Well, you can pray for me for school, you know. Just, school's hard. Deep down inside, you know exactly what's bugging you, and you don't trust me. And I, I don't blame you at all. Why? Because you've had that, that privilege has been abused, hasn't it? You've trusted some people, and they've told everyone your business. Or you've told some people, and they, they've given you bad advice. Or they've laughed at you, or thought you were stupid. But listen, if you look at church history, there is kind of like this web where Jesus sent out his disciples, the apostles. They started churches, ordained pastors, and pastors... Down the line of church history, I have ordained pastors. So just so you know, like how people get ordained, it's not like anyone can ordain anyone. You can in name, but even in the Calvary Chapel of Movement, what happens is no, one, no human ordains other humans. We, the way we phrase it is that we're recognizing the call that, someone, that God has already placed on someone else. So you can't get ordained as a Calvary Chapel pastor unless another Calvary Chapel pastor ordains you. So I could not just call myself a pastor out of nowhere. Lloyd Pulley had to lay hands on me and say, you are now ordained as a Calvary Chapel pastor. Someone else signs this thing, and I get like this thing. So it's cool. It's not just anyone can get ordained. But we make it very clear that it's not, once again, man ordaining man. It's man recognizing the call that God has already placed on the person's life. So when you have these pastors recognizing 
the call in someone's life, you should be able to trust us. You should be able to trust your pastors. Because we have dedicated our lives to serving and caring for you. I have dedicated my life to making sure I know how to deal with situations that you may not know how to deal with. If you are struggling with cutting, you're having suicidal thoughts, we are dedicating our lives and our ministries to being able to help you walk through these processes. The question is, are you willing to submit yourself to your elder? Are you willing to submit yourself to the leadership that God has put in place so that you don't have to walk this life alone? Because that is exactly what pride is. And this is how it all ties into humility. Pride is, I don't care about the way that God instituted it. I'm going to do my own thing because I think I can do it better. Or I got my friends, I got my posse, and like they're going to help me walk through life. I don't need anybody else. Instead, like take advantage of the leaders here. Take advantage of the fact that I'm here spending time. I have office hours throughout the week. You, those of you that go to Calvary Christian School, at any point in time, they will allow you to say, hey, I just, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to go. I need to talk to a pastor. That's it. That's all you have to say, and you're allowed to do that. Did you know that? Like, that is something that you can take advantage of. And no one's going to be like, oh, there they go, talking to a pastor again. I've done it before. And it would give me no greater joy than to be able to say, I can help you. I can make a difference by helping you walk through your life. That doesn't mean you have to trust me with everything, obviously. But we have other leaders that can do things better than I can. That's why we have girl leaders here for the girls and guy leaders for the guys. And I put other people in leadership that can do things better than me. Like, I will probably be an older brother figure to you, but I'm not old enough to be your dad. I will never be your father figure. And, and if I am, that's weird. But we have people like Papa Duquesne that's here. And he's here to be there for you. I can talk about him because he's not here. But he's here to be here for you so that you are able to have wisdom from an older, wiser mentor. And we have people of all different strokes and different backgrounds to be able to help you walk through life. Married couples, single people, we're all here in ministry to help you. So, that being said, submit to your elders. Let pastors, elders, leadership take care of you. Why? He says in verse 5, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let me ask you this. If you don't trust God's ordained leadership to help you walk through life, who do you trust? When you're talking about a relationship, and listen, people have given bad advice. Older people and younger people. People have said stupid things, and I know. But who do you trust? You trust your other friends who have no relationship experience whatsoever? You're going to trust a person who's been married for a couple years. Like, just putting them side by side, you're probably going to have a better bet with one than the other. I'm not saying that you can't trust your friends. Trust your friends. Rely on your friends. But we're here to serve you. So, he also says in verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God calls us to be clothed in humility, he says in the previous verse. So pastors are to serve the people and young people are to submit their care and submit to their care and submit to their authority. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others 
as better than himself. We're to live in such a way that we are clothed with humility. Like everywhere we go, we are just an example to others. We're not striving for a position. We're not trying to get ahead of everybody else, but we're letting other people get ahead. We're here to push each other forward. And that's why we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he would exalt us in due time. Let me ask you, are you striving in life? Are you striving against the hand of God? Because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So you'll know if you're striving with God. I remember there has been a time in my life where I physically tried to pull the hair out of my head because I was so frustrated. Like you see that on cartoons, you're like, that probably never happens. Who's actually that frustrated? And it happened. I like took chunks when I still had long hair and I tried to pull them out. And I screamed, ah! Because everything I had tried to do when I was trying to book tours and I was trying to release an album back with my band, I tried, I, I put in all my chips and I said, this is what God wants me to do, obviously, and I'm going to make it happen no matter what. Did it, dedicated all my time, took off of school. I sacrificed everything. And when it wasn't going to go my way, it just all came to a head. And I was devastated. And I was ready to lose my mind. That's what it feels like when you're resisting God. When you say, Lord, I, I, I think you know what I want to do, so I'm going to do what I want to do apart from you. You start to feel God opposing you instead of being able to submit yourself to the Lord. I think about when Jesus was knocking off Paul off of his donkey when he was going to Damascus. And he said what? He said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Does anyone even know what that means? So goads are, you had uh, people that had oxes doing their plowing and the farms and stuff. You had this sharp stick with an iron little point called a goad. And to keep the ox plowing straight, you would just take it and just kind of nick his back leg. This little pointy stick. It's kind of mean, really. But the thing is, if the ox was rebellious, he would kick against the goads. And the more he would kick against this pointy stick, the more he would suffer. And so what Jesus was saying to Paul in essence is, isn't it hard opposing the God of all creation? Like, isn't it hard for you resisting the Lord and his direction for your life? And maybe that's what God would say to you. Like, you've been resisting. You know what God is calling you to do. He's made it very clear to you. And you are resisting because you want to do things your own way. Well, you're going to find yourself rebelling against the very hand of God. But if we know what God desires of us, he will exalt us in due time. So if you want influence and you want to make a difference, let God determine how much, where, and what it looks like. Now, how does that happen practically? We talked about humility, humble yourself. Now, what do we do? Do we just go home and, like, start bowing every night when we pray? Do you, like, start cleaning the toilets and that's supposedly humility? What does it actually look like to, to humble yourself before the Lord? Especially when you think about it and you felt the resistance of the Holy Spirit going in the wrong direction, opposing him, living in your sin, not willing to repent, how is it that you practically humble yourself? Well, look at verse 7. This is the last verse we'll go through tonight. 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, when I'm thinking about humility, that isn't the verse that usually comes to mind. I don't think about humility like giving God my problems, my worries. But think about what you're doing when you give God your worry and your care. What you're saying is, Lord, I will not worry about this problem anymore. I will not try to figure out my life. I will not try to plan out everything. Instead, I will let you deal with that weight. God's yoke is easy and his burden is light because he does all the planning. And all you have to do is submit, follow him to be able to walk in his ways. Casting your care upon God can be very difficult for this very reason. Because you start thinking about, well, who in the world is going to take care of me if all I think about is God and other people? Like, if you're in a position, maybe you have a mom like this, like my mom. I never see her eat, ever. Because she's always serving people. Like, are you ever going to eat? Like, are you going to die just one day? Just one day, she's like, I never ate anything for 27 years. Who's going to take care of me if all I do is think about other people's problems? Who's going to take care of me if all I do is cancel other people? Who's going to take care of me if all I do is try to love God and love others? God will take care of you. Who's going to take care of me if I'm always trying to sift through other people's problems? If I'm always praying for other people and not taking time to pray for myself, who's going to pray for me? Jesus is going to intercede on your behalf. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said when other people are saying, hey man, like, uh, I don't know if you like notice, but Jesus is starting to baptize more people than you. And John the Baptist is like, well, that's the whole reason why I'm here. Duh. It's so that people would see Jesus. If they don't pay attention to me, who cares? I don't really care. He must increase and I must decrease. And he gave an analogy. He's like, hey, so if we're at a wedding and I'm in the wedding party, let's, let's say I'm the best man and like the groom's out and he's getting married. I'm standing right there. Groom's about to like kiss the bride. Am I going to be like, man, I really wish I was there kissing that bride? That'd be weird. <laughs> and you probably shouldn't be the best man and you have other problems. It's like, no, you're rejoicing. You're stoked out of your mind that your best friend is getting married to the love of his life. That's how we should view other people. That's how we should view the calling that God has given us. It's not for myself. It's not so that I can glorify myself. It's so that I can glorify the Lord. So I'm to cast my burdens and my cares to him because it's not about me anyway. Spurgeon has this great, 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 I didn't get enough sleep last night. Great quote. It goes like this. He talks about how to cast your care to the Lord. So what does it actually look like? So we, we talked about humility is casting your care to the Lord in prayer. But now how do you do that? Spurgeon says, this work of casting can be so difficult that we need to use two hands to do it. The hand of prayer and the hand of faith. Prayer tells God what the care is and asks God to help while faith believes that God can and will do it. Prayer spreads the letter of trouble and grief before the Lord and opens ail its budget, and then faith cries, I believe that God cares and cares for me, and I believe that he will bring me out of my distress and make it promote his own glory. So what Spurgeon says is, in order to cast your burden upon the Lord, you need to start off with a hand of prayer, just lay it out to the Lord, and then also give the hand of faith. 
Say, Lord, I surrender to you. I know that this is my burden, and I know that you can take care of it. I'm trusting it to you. And when you sit before the Lord, you just stand in his presence. You take time to pray. You commit it to him. He is the one who lifts that burden off your heart. You have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That you don't have to have all the answers. So if there's any takeaways from tonight, it's number one, that you can trust God-ordained leadership to walk this life with you. And if you don't trust God's ordained leadership, who do you trust? And then secondly, you can trust God's ordained plan for your life. That you can humble yourself before the Lord, not resist his mighty hand, but say, Lord, I know that you have it all figured out. And so I want to walk in your ways. And by doing it in those parameters, that's how we can make a difference in this world. So if you want to be challenged in your Christian life, Ask someone who's older and wiser than you. Ask one of the leaders. How can I be challenged in my Christian walk? I, I really want to go to the next step. And they'll walk with you. Say to one of our leaders, hey, would you read a book with me? I don't even know what book to read, but would you read a book with me? A book of the Bible, maybe a spiritual encouragement book. Our leaders are here to do that with you. Hey, I want to be challenged in my prayer life. Would you pray with me? I want to memorize a verse. That's why we are here. If you need help, you need direction. Maybe you have a fight with your parents. Maybe you have a fight with your girlfriend or boyfriend. And you need direction. That's why we are here. And most of all, even though you may not have it all figured out, you can trust that God has it figured out. And that he knows the best for our life. Let's pray.